welcome to another episode of the DOS Game Club podcast. This is an extra episode. Um, in July, we played The Aching. And normally we do uh, a little section in each episode about the developers and the history and how the game got made. And it involves a lot of research and we have to figure it all out. And we're lazy this time. Well, this time we've made it a lot easier for ourselves because we've invited the developers onto the podcast. So we can just ask them, how easy is that? So uh, first of all, uh, with me as always is Florian. You've heard him. Here he is. Hello. Hey. Or RNLF on the forums. I, I think I have not mentioned that in a while. The correct order of characters, yes. Mm, it's hard to pronounce, but yeah. Don't try. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Martijn. Tyn on the forums, by the way. So with us, it's two people. It's the people from Hadrosaurus Software. First of all, it's Tamsin. Hi there. Hey, also known as The Lobdag. Yes. I believe you are, you can explain it better than I do, but in my mind, you are the creator of The Aching. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. It started off as a Game Jam game like a year ago, two years ago now, something like that. Mm -hmm. And it was just a solo project just for the for shits and giggles. So. Oh, really? That was not part of Hadrosaurus then? No, the, this was back when we had talked on Twitter, but not not like we weren't working together at that point. Right. Oh, well, this is definitely interesting to explore a little further, for sure. But I also want to uh, introduce our other guest, which is Clarissa. Hello. Hey, the founder of Hedrosaurus Software, right? Um, yes. <laughs> well, that's awesome. And so I wanted to say The Aching is developed by Hedrosaurus Software, but now I'm hearing that maybe it started before that. So that's already an interesting thing. But... Clarissa, did you start Hedrosaurus? I mean, I, we've talked a little bit about you before when we discussed the DOS Games Jam. Mm -hmm. That was, I think, two years ago now, three I years th ago. I think it was almost three years ago at this point. Yeah. It's been a while. A uh, my game, Acronia, has been in development for, geez, four years now. So, mm -hmm. And I think the first jam was like three years ago. So yeah, it's been a while. Exactly. So Acronia is a game you're working on, and that's what you founded Hadrosaurus Software for, right? Um, sort of. I founded Hadrosaurus Software um, as a company like 12 years ago, I think. Oh, wow. But it, yeah, but it was like in name only. I've been making games as a hobby all my life, but mm -hmm. I've only gotten to the point where I had something viable that I could even think about starting to publish um, within the last few years. Uh, so it, as far as any of us are concerned, like like, like there's the actual found, you know, founding date of the company and when we actually kind of started doing stuff. And that would be when Tamsin and I first decided to partner up about a year and a half ago. Right. So that's when things got really, you know, kicked up a notch. Yeah, exactly. Before that, Hadrosaurus Software was kind of just a name, you know? Mm. Mm hmm. Yeah. Okay. So you, you do mention you've been making games as a hobby all your life. Uh, yeah. That sounds interesting. So how did that happen? We got a TRS-80 uh, secondhand when I was, how old was I, nine years old? Mm -hmm. And I immediately took to it. Um, it included a basic programming book, and I just started hacking away with that. And it's just kind of grown from there, um, from that TRS-80 to like a Tandy to eventually like QBasic and DOS. Um, until like, I'd say maybe five, six years ago, it really was just a hobby while I tried to figure out my life's thing mm -hmm. you know but then somewhere along the line that i, I figured out this kind of is my thing right so i decided to make a real go at it 
Yeah. Oh, that makes sense. It, isn't it cool how computers of the past were kind of set up for programming? They really were. I mean, the, the, the TRS-80 I mentioned, you turn it on, you hold down the brake key, you're in BASIC. No disks required. It's all in ROM. You could just start coding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think a lot of old computers were like that. And I don't know, it's always, it's, it's always bummed me out a bit how that's kind of gone. Same. I mean, obviously, obviously you can still program for, for modern computers, but I don't know. I don't feel, especially kids, you know, especially when a kid gets a computer nowadays, they're, they're really challenged to make something for it. My hot take is that you should probably go away from Windows and Mac OS and use an operating system that encourages programming these days. So Yeah, I guess it's true that, that Linux is, mo is more... But even Linux, I mean, if you just launch Linux then it really just wants you to use the built-in app store to install stuff. And it, 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 it isn't shoving programming really into your face. To be fair, there was a time when Linux didn't do that, and the learning curve for it was extraordinarily steep. Yeah. Like, you didn't use Linux, and it was like, oh, hey, you might want to try programming. It was, oh, you're going to use Linux? You better fucking know what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, 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 for sure. But and I've yeah, already sworn. I've, I'm I've sorry. Just... <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. You've already sworn twice. <laughs> Have I? Yeah. <laughs> I've heard this story a lot uh, when when we talked about older games that we've done on the show. That you know, often this is what happens. The the, the people who made these games just got into programming sort of naturally. Because it was a natural thing to do in the in the eighties and maybe less so in the nineties, but yeah, even even less so now. I feel so. Yeah, that's interesting. I was fortunate in that in the nineties there was kind of a resurgence of that kind of thing um, with like, like Cubase. got really popular like in the late nineties, hmm. um, and if that trend hadn't happened, if that subculture hadn't come out, um, then I probably wouldn't be doing this now because my interest in it had kind of started to wane by that point. Hmm. And then that kind of reignited things, and that's what set me on the path I'm on now. That's great. And I kind of feel like even though you can find game dev communities online nowadays, it goes to what we were talking about earlier. It's not really encouraged by the hardware and the software anymore. Mm, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like what we were talking about with modern Linux. Yeah, there are programming tools to be found in the package manager, but ultimately Linux is trying to be, you know, just your regular old desktop environment, just like Windows or Mac or whatever. Mm -hmm. And yeah. de-emphasizes that do-it-yourself kind of nature. Yeah, exactly. I would like to say, though, that... um. I feel like we're also in an era where if you're specifically looking to go into game design, it's kind of in many ways easier than ever. That is a good point. Um, because of, because like, you know, okay, Unity's kind of turned into a, a crash fire, but... Um, <laughs> yeah. But it exists. Yeah. <laughs> Unreal Engine, though, is very solid. Godot is like, uh, it, it's kind of an up and coming and it looks very promising. I haven't worked with it myself yet, but mm -hmm. everything that I've seen, I've seen people producing really cool games with it. So I feel like, though, the, the kind of interesting thing about the modern engines is they kind of pull the programming behind the curtain, mm -hmm. and you can make games uh, without knowing how the computer actually works. Yeah. It, you know, they've simplified it down to a very streamlined system, kind of in some ways uh, to reach back to the olden days, 
I don't know if anyone used click and play at the table here. Mm. Yeah, I have. Yeah. It's very much like that. Like you did not know need to know how to program to use click and play and to make games. And I feel like Unreal Engine and Godot and what have you, like they're they're kind of in that same vein where it's more for the artistic people rather than the engineering people. Mm. Yeah, it's true. There's definitely more stuff than than there ever was. So in a way, it's more accessible. It's, I don't know, I guess it's just a weird aspect of modern life that there's so much and there's yet there's so little direction and you have to kind of figure it out yourself where you want to go. Right. But yeah. I kind of feel like programming has a higher barrier of entry nowadays. It's harder to get into, but game development in general maybe is easier. I'll go with that. Yeah. yeah. So you had been hacking away at QBasic and things for, for years, right, Clarissa? Yeah. But at one point, you decided to enter the DOS Games Jam some three years ago. Yes. And at that point, I think Acronia was already sort of happening. It had already been in development for, oh goodness, I'm trying to remember when that, I know it was in 2020, I'm trying to remember when that Game Jam happened. In May, I think. Yeah, in May. Um, so it had, Acronia had already been in development for, goodness, uh, about 10 months, maybe a year at that point. Right. Yeah. Is it fair to say it's like a, a refocused effort? Because it it feels like before it was just a hobby, just dabbling. And this is a more serious endeavor. Um, yeah, it, it really is. Um, that whole time I was kind of learning how to make games, learning how to program. I always had two main projects, um, an RPG that I keep alluding to on Mastodon, but never really give any details about, just because <laughs> simply I'm not ready yet. Um, and uh, this platformer, which at one point was called Threshold, I eventually renamed it Acronia. Mm-hmm. And I've made several prototypes of Acronia over the years, but they were all for modern systems. And then finally, sometime in 2019, I was like, I, I started thinking, okay, there's this great like DOS development community out there. And that used to be my wheelhouse back in the day. Why don't I get back into that? It might be a good way to maybe get some visibility for this project of mine that wasn't really going anywhere. Right. Uh, so I made it completely from scratch over again from mm-hmm. the ground up in DOS. And even that first year, it really was kind of just still a hobby project. It wasn't really going anywhere. And then I heard about the game jam, the DOS game jam. Right. And that's really what made you think, oh, this could be a perfect fit. I've got this. Yeah, exactly. That's what kicked it off. And I was like, you know, this could actually be a thing. Right. So it's interesting. I mean, I don't want to say there's like a renaissance of DOS gaming happening, <laughs> because I don't think that's that's quite fair to say, but... Give it time. I think we're on the cusp of it. I, I, I think it's going to happen. And I think yeah. we're seeing the beginnings of it. I want it to happen. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I mean, for, for sure. sure. I want, yeah. <laughs> I mean, at least there's a solid user base, right? And they will check out everything that you throw at them. So you are sure to get some visibility, at least. To a surprising extent. It's a very interesting angle. Like, I didn't expect to get the attention for the aching that we've gotten. Mm Mm-hmm. So, so maybe I mean that's that's where Acronia came from, and that's uh, you, yeah, it just naturally fits into the Hadrosaurus thing that had been going on forever. But 
maybe we could talk a little bit about where the Aching came from then. Because that's the game we actually did in July. And I naively thought, well, this is just another Hadrosaurus software project. You know, in my mind, they are making DOS games. So yeah, this is another... But it turns out that's not really how it happened at all, did it? I mean, yes and no, sort of. Um, (laughs) The the genesis was was a no. Um, What had happened was uh, last fall, I was helping out Clarissa here with uh, a Cronia code. And... We were we were trying to like because neither of us are artists, so we were trying to figure out how can we afford to uh, pay, you know, an artist to to do like sprite work and what have you. Um, because you know, like the plan is is for all of these uh, extra characters and what have you, and I was just like, well, why don't we, uh, you know, famous last words, why don't we release a small game? Sell it for like five or ten dollars, and you know if we make any money on that, then it can it can pay for an artist. And uh, right, you know, Clarissa was like, "Well, I mean, what what are we going to make? Because now we're having to start from scratch." And I was like, "Well, I had that project that I submitted as a as a a DOS game jam entry uh, a year or two ago. Why don't we just flesh it out into a full game and release it?" The engine's already done. It won't take any effort. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> oh, exactly. Four, exactly. Four months, because yeah. four months later, and I'm sitting there like, "Why is this not done? I I don't want to work on it anymore." <laughs> oh, oh I re- I'm reminded of the time we talked to the uh, to the Albion developers. You remember that, Florian? And and they said, well. They they just switched studios, so they thought, what what should our first project be? Let's do something simple, something we know. Let's make an open world RPG. That's <laughs> that's an easy that's an easy project. <laughs> like, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like that RPG I've been trying to make for twenty years. <laughs> <laughs> but I think we need to back up a little bit, Tamson, because I mean, at this point, you already have something going for the aching. Mm-hmm. But that didn't just appear out of nowhere. So, I mean, how did this all start? How did you start making games? Uh, I mean, if you want to go way back, uh, click and play. In, I want to go to the start. In 1993, 1994, I think it was. Mm-hmm. I saw click and play. And by that time, I was a hopeless PC gamer because, you know, like a lot of Americans in like middle class and upper middle class you know, if you're if one of your parents worked in an office, you were probably going to have a computer of some description at home. Mm-hmm. They were super expensive, you know, so they only ever got bought if your parents actually had a use for them. Yeah. But of course, since once they're there, you know, you're like, oh, well, I can load things on here. And my mom got me into PC gaming thanks to playing uh, King's Quest Four. All right. Which I was hopelessly addicted to. And to this day, it's still like my top favorite uh, Sierra game, despite the fact that mm-hmm. it's far from their best. <laughs> well, yeah. I don't know. It's not their worst either, I would say. No, but um, there is a lot of very evil RNG in it. Um, yeah. And it's, you know, the, the complaints against uh, a lot of Sierra's games are valid. Mm. Uh, it doesn't stop me from loving them. Yeah, same, to be honest. So then, you know, 
got into got into making games with click and play and the problem with click and play at least back in the 90s was that it was it was very limited in scope for what they were uh expecting their user base to make and of course me being me i was like oh i want to i want to make you know corridor shooters like wolfenstein and i i want to make side scrollers like what you would get on like the sega genesis and super nintendo which are going to have like massive sprawling maps and what have you mm-hmm. and there were ways that you could get that to work and click and play but it was always kind of jank mm. and so you know the moment i was able to get uh my high school had programming classes so oh that's cool you know i was just like okay yeah i will sign up for that started in q basic yeah. moved on to c and c plus plus wow that's huge what if they didn't offer that class then i probably would have gone into cinematography wow <laughs> So oh, talk about something that go, high school. Something that, that that very much changed the trajectory of my life. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's very cool. So this is when you grew beyond click and play. Yeah. Yeah. So but but that doesn't mean you want to make games though. Or, well, or did you want to make games right from the Okay. Um my my only interest in programming was how can I make video games? Right. So like the big because you know, we had like an end of semester project. Uh, that was supposed to be like, you know, do something interesting with QBasic. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I tried to make a Commander Keen ripoff that ran at about one frame per second because QBasic, <laughs> as it turns out, is not the most efficient language. Mm-hmm. That and I was trying to draw way more than those. I mean, they, these are all DOS computers that we were learning on. So, you know, they they weren't they weren't like workhorses. You know, they were like hand me downs. No. Yeah. So so when we started C and C++, it was a little bit more flexible. Right. Because, you know, you're actually compiling to machine code, so it's it you're able to squeeze out a little bit more. And I for my my second year's final project, I tried making a Quake clone. Wow. Which as it turns out takes a lot longer than a semester. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. Wow. I like my my teacher was like, "Hey, um print out all of the code that you've written for your project and I'll, I'll go ahead and grade it. And I was like, okay. Mm-hmm. So I didn't even get to the engine. I was printing out my editor, my map editor. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I clicked print and the printer just starts. And it was, you know, it was one of those old, like uh form fed dot matrix printers. Mm-hmm. And it, yeah. it just kept printing and printing. And she kind of like <laughs> no. stops and she goes, how many lines of code is this? And I was like, uh, I think the computer said something like 42 or, or 52 pages. It wasn't much. And she's just no, like, yeah, no, you get an A. I'm not going to, I'm not going to grade. <laughs> I'm not going to read 40 pages. I mean, come on. Yeah. She's like, it works, right? Like if you click run, I can see it work. Right. I was like, yeah. And she's like, yeah, no, you're, you're fine. You, you get an A. You're, you're good. Yeah. A plus. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's cool. But ever since then, I've just like, you know, when I, I went to college and, and tried, uh, tr- tried like doing more with programming and I started getting a little bit more adventurous. That was when I first got introduced to the Linux environment. I, I didn't really have mm-hmm. any introduction to the Linux community back then. Uh, I just, I had that one friend who was like, so I've got this cool operating system called Mandrake. And you can right. almost play Windows games in it. <laughs> almost. 
let, let's be honest. For anyone who was a Linux user back then, it was very much almost like wine. Was, yeah. Wine existed, but it was very rough around the edges. <laughs> yeah, it was mostly just a cool novelty. I remember installing like I don't know Red Hat Six stuff like that. There you go. And it just yeah, it's just the challenge of getting it to run, and then I don't know. Then it then it just sits there. <laughs> I had the fun of, you know, you'd, you'd be like, oh, I've got it running. I'm ready. And so you go, hey, I wonder if I can do this. Next thing mm. you know, you've, because I didn't have any tutorials or, or books or whatever to explain how to use V uh, or Vim mm. or whatever from the command prompt. So I'd completely hose my configuration and be like, yeah, oh, classic. well, I guess I'm I'm formatting and rebuilding from scratch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's the Linux experience. That, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did you did you release any games before the aching? Um, was there like a project that that was going somewhere before that, or was it always more of a side thing? Like, yeah, just messing around. It was definitely more of like a an exploration of code kind of thing. Like, I never made a mm. game that was like playable to like normal, you know, just random people online. It was more mm. me going, okay, how if I've got this environment. How would I make this kind of project work? Like from a, a purely mechanical standpoint. And I, I guess it was in this phase that you met Clare Clarissa. Did you just meet through the internet, or what happened? Oh no, I didn't. I didn't meet Clarissa until uh, she had released Acronia. Oh, and this is how it came on your radar. Like, oh, this is cool. So, so um, at the time, this was before I even knew about the DOS game jam. After uh, the release of Planet X three, I was I was a huge like hugely obsessed with that uh, that whole like video series that he did. So, so was I. That was kind of. Sorry to cut you off, but uh, yeah, that was the same experience for me too. That's part of, I forgot to mention it, but that was part of what spurred me on to redo Acronia in DOS. Yeah. Oh, really? So it kind of came from the same place. Yeah. Right. So just, just to make it clear for the people listening, we're talking about um, this project by this YouTuber called the 8-Bit Guy. And he made, I think he made a Commodore 64 game first. Yeah. And then eventually a DOS game called Planet X3. Yep. Um, which I guess... Especially at the time, it was just quite unique to make a DOS game at all, right? That was not really something people were doing. I think people were, just not with that much publicity. Yeah, maybe the first, like really the one with the with a big platform. Right. Like, yeah. And it, it also was the fact that he didn't just release a uh, a digital release. He did like a whole walkthrough of how he was like like sourcing the materials to actually sell physical printed copies, and mm. I watched that that series, and it got me wanting to, uh, you know, because I've been wanting a project to work on. I'd been wanting to make something, mm -hmm. and that kind of gave me enough of a of a push. I was like, I've got all these old computers hanging around. I've got DOS emulators, and I've got DOS machines. Why not make a DOS game? So I was making a side scroller at the time. Uh, called Bob and Bob. Yes. Bob, the side scroller. Well, cool. <laughs> the full title was Spaceman Bob, just to make sure, because there was a side scrolling platformer from the nineties uh, called B O B. Um, and it was, right. it was about a robot called Bob. Uh, I forget what the, mm. the acronym stood for. 
But it was mm-hmm. like, you know, it was a Super Nintendo side-scroller. And so I was like, I, in my head, I was like, oh, God, I'm going to get sued by some company that, or or some rights <laughs> holder who bought it from like 20 years ago. The original developers have nothing to do with it. And they're just like, you know what? Oh, look, there's somebody releasing a game called Bob. Let's sue them. So I was like, no, 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 it's Space Man <laughs> yeah. Bob. Um, well, a lawsuit <laughs> averted. <laughs> That's see, I'm 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 uh, I'm clever like that. No, <laughs> but uh, yeah. <laughs> well, space space man Bob is infinitely more searchable too. So it is, uh, yeah, especially with yeah, the modern Google. Terrible, oh my god, terrible for for like yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, so so I was working on Spaceman Bob, and I was originally programming it in 16 bit uh, environments until. Uh, I finally like came across somebody going, oh yeah, there's there's because uh, it was back when I was still on Twitter. They were like, oh yeah, you can get Open Whatcom, you can find it here, and you can make 32 bit DOS games. And I was like, oh shit, awesome, let's mm-hmm. do that. And mm-hmm. uh, I was working on Bob kind of on my own, and I, I, I it was around this time that I came across uh, Clarissa's Twitter. And she was posting about her side-scrolling platformer. And I was like, oh, this is really cool. Yes. And it looked yeah. way more impressive than my game. And uh. I had, because I'm like, I'm a big fan of uh, the later, Cast- um, all Castlevania games, but specifically like Symphony of the Night and Beyond, um, where you get like lots of, of different characters with very differing uh, mechanics. And I kind of wanted to like, kind of take that idea and run with it. The original idea for Spaceman Bob was there were going to be four characters that you could choose from and then play through the entire game. And there would be like little story points that would uh, interject the action every now and then, kind of like a Castlevania game. Mm -hmm. Um, The second character was named Alejandro, but a lot of the the code shortened it to Ali. Oh, and Acronia's right. primary character, at least as far as development was concerned, was also called Ali. I yes, shot a brick when I realized this because I was like, <laughs> he's going to think I'm ripping her off. Oh my god, yeah. this is scary. I better I better team up, otherwise it's awkward. <laughs> well, no, I I I messaged her. I was like, I was like, oh god, okay. Just so you know. I'm making a DOS side scroller uh, that happens to also have a character named Ali. Uh, you know, please, please don't be mad at me. <laughs> I did not mean to rip you off. <laughs> Is this the first contact? Like the first yes. time you two talked? This was our very first contact. Wow. And what what's what makes this story even funnier is I was so nervous reading this message that I misinterpreted it. I thought Tamsin was basically, not in so many words, telling me to cease and desist. So I got really defensive in my reply. Perfect. (laughs) And then I reread the message. I was like, oh. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, no, it's okay. Yeah. I'm like, oh, that's fun. That that was was the start of our our dialogue. And because at the time... I had focused more on music and sound code right? than making the game efficient. Like, Bob looks a lot more primitive uh, graphically than Acronia, but it requires, like, twice the processor strength. Um, I think I never got it to run effectively below, like, a Pentium 1, whereas Acronia will run all the way down to a 386 and still be playable. Clarissa and I were talking about it one day, and... You know, she was like, she had never done sound code, so she 
found it kind of intimidating. And I was like, oh, if you want... Kind of is like a vast understatement. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, well, you know, I've, I've got a sound engine running in my game. Do you want me to uh, write you some code so that you can play like MIDI music or what have you um, mm-hmm. in, in Acronia? And that was that was like the the start of us actually pairing up and working together. Um, awesome. So when the sound code is garbage, that's me. Uh, don't don't blame <laughs> Clarissa. She didn't write it. That's all my right. fault. <laughs> so this is gonna be the um, the official origin story. Then you both teamed up to prevent the other one from suing or thinking you have to prevent <laughs> the other one from suing you. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> It's well, you know, attack is the best defense. It's just, yeah. <laughs> but um, I mean, so so you you um, were collaborating at this point on uh, Acronia, right? Yep. But where does the aching come in then? Where I mean, where did this start? Where? Well, like I said, like the the conversation between Clarissa and I was like the genesis of us working together. That was back in what late twenty twenty. Um. Yeah. Mid twenty twenty. I, I think we first met in late 2020, and we just kind of had conversations up until then, you know, just as friends. And I think we finally decided to start working together on the audio code for mm-hmm. Acronia sometime in 2021. Okay. Right. Yeah. But there's still no the aching at this point. No. So what's what's going on with that? So for for the aching, you actually have to rewind to the previous game jam. Uh, the first one that I became aware of um, after I started like following people like Michael Clamorous because it was his game jam. Um, mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, this is really cool. Um, but obviously, Bob's a very big project. I should do something smaller. And at the time, I was work from home. So I was like, what's a, what's a small game engine that I could toy around with and, and complete? And I think it was like a, about a month that he had it set mm-hmm. for. And I was like, oh, well, you know, I've been kind of like getting more and more into text adventure games. So I'll do a text adventure engine, like do all the coding from scratch, build up my own engine. Because uh, then, you know, I'm not I'm not just taking what somebody else has done and re-implementing it. I'm figuring out how to do it on my own, which was the whole reason yeah. why I did it. Mm-hmm. And that was uh, the release of, oh, God, what did I... I'm I'm going to have to go to my itch page and and look it up because it's been so long. I don't remember what I called it. Uh, Lost Memories. Oh, it wasn't called The Aching from the Start. No, no well, this is a completely different game. Uh, Lost Memories oh, a was game. a sci-fi game, and it was it was an idea. It was like a, a there were a couple of like stray ideas I had that I was like, wouldn't it be kind of cool if I could put this into a game? And originally I wanted it to be a CGA game and to, to very much be built off of the, the painful, uh, you know, Saiyan magenta white palette. Um, and at the time I was just like, I'm not an artist, so I'm just going to stick to text. And yeah. so I, I released the, the lost memories, um, game jam entry. It is a complete game, although it's very short and not very interesting, but it was a lot of fun to make. So then right. come the next DOS game jam. And I was like, okay, well, what am I going to do now? Well, I've got a parser uh, already built and it works. I've already got a scripting language that's already built and it works. 
So why don't we go that next step and make a graphical adventure game with a that's parser driven, a la because again I watch a lot of uh, let's plays, so I had been watching. Um, I think I had been watching the Space Quest historian go through uh, Space Quest one and two a lot at the time, and so I was right. like, oh, I'll make a Sierra style clone, and yeah. It was just, it was a, a fun project where I figured out how to make the code work. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so I was like, well, I need, I need a setting for it. So at the time I, I was feeling very uncreative and I, I kind of, after, after like searching around, I was just like, well, my wife and I play a lot of Dungeons and Dragons. We've built this whole rich world over like a period of at the time, five years and I was like, well, why don't I just take some of that that creative uh, stuff and and put it into a parser driven adventure game? I've kind of already got a yeah. world. I've got the the cultures and what have you already kind of thought up. It's something that is low effort for me to get a game up and running. Cool. And that was how the aching prototype uh, came to be, which was what I submitted for the game jam. And. How similar is it to what was eventually released? Well, there's definitely screens that you can see, like the the crystal cave that you fall into, mm-hmm. the red room that you start in, and the house. Well, the house actually has changed a lot, but you can see it. Like, you can see the origins of the house in the prototype, but the prototype was also very rough around the edges. I hadn't, there's plenty of screens that are just basically devoid of anything. Mm, well, it's a game jam. So, right. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's bound to be like, but that's really cool though, that it's already sort of, you know, going to where it eventually ended up. That's, yeah, yeah, that's amazing. And you did the graphics yourself as well? Yeah, uh, I mean, I didn't have anyone that I could be like, hey, draw this for me. So it's just like, <laughs> it looks very good. I, I mean, I really think it looks great. I know it's low res and all, but still, it, it's, you know, it's got a really strong vibe and a good use of the technology, I would say. The funniest thing is, uh, despite the Space Quest fan base being as extensive as it is, I haven't been called out by the fact that I literally traced over Roger Wilco to create the Acolyte. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's like 12 pixels. So, you know. See, he's, he's like uh, 32 only... or 48, something like that. He's, okay. he's tall. Yeah, I think, <laughs> I think there's only so many ways you can arrange pixels together. I mean, that's true. So, <laughs> yeah. I think See, I, I would never have noticed The Aching is the only adventure game I've ever played. <laughs> I think, to be that. honest, all... I think all Sierra games, especially the AGI ones, have extremely similar sprites for the characters. So I think that's just part of the genre is that all the all the all the, all the characters look the same. Yeah. Just different colors really. <laughs> we just played um Space Quest not too long ago and I didn't notice. <laughs> no, it's fine. See? It's the, I guess it's the environment, right? Change the environment and suddenly it's not the same guy anymore. Yeah. Right. <laughs> So is the technology used to make the aching, is it in any way comparable to the technology that's used to make a Cronia? No, Is there no. any overlap? I mean, they're both for DOS, but... No. Is there... <laughs> there, both... is, there is almost nothing alike about them. They're, they're both written oh, in C. Oh, that's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, that's... That's handy. That's not true. A Cronia is written in C++. 
Uh, the aching <laughs> is written in bog standard C99. All right. So I think Florian had some questions about the technology you, you you're using. So I mean, this is where I kind of check out. I don't I know nothing <laughs> about this. I, I mean, there's no meaningful. I, I'm just trying to pivoted into this subject. Not so much about technology, but I think I heard one of you say that, or right somewhere, that you're actually using like original 90s compilers like um, Turbo C or something to make stuff. Is that correct? Borland Turbo C++. Uh, 1.0, because I thought that was all that I could find on on the uh, Wayback machine like eight years ago, seven, eight years ago was when I, I last pulled it down, because that was what I learned how to program in. So I was like, I'm just going to go back to basics. And yeah. Right, so that's that's what the A-King is actually made in, right? Yes. Cool. Um, and the real question is, is there any any real reason why you stuck with that technology, other than um, that's what you started with? Or is it like like a nostalgia thing as well? Or I, I would say it's a little bit like, uh, kind of like going back home, if that makes sense. Just because, like I said, I, I spent years working in Borland Turbo C++ for DOS. My first Windows compiler, uh, which also was the first compiler I had bought for me. I didn't buy it. It was a, a birthday gift when I was 13. Was My dad was like, hey, we've got these Windows computers. Why don't I, I get you uh, Borland Turbo C++ for Windows? And I've still got the disk. And I had no idea what I was doing back then because C is not an easy language <laughs> to just pick up uh, without some kind of help. But like back then, I was I was buying you know programming books left, right, and center whenever I could find anything interesting. You know, I'd, I'd go to bookstores and just sit in the programming department for like happily sit for like an hour, just you know churning through whatever books I could find. And so when I was like, well, I'll go back and I'll program something for DOS, I was like, well, why don't I do it properly? I'll go back and use old tools because that's where I started. That's where I'm I'm comfortable, you know. Also comes with a lot of nerd cred, I guess. So that's always good. <laughs> in, my, in my book anyway. <laughs> I suppose. I, that was not a, a motivation for it. <laughs> so it's the same true for Acronia. Is that also written in older tools or just one and stuff? Um, no, actually, um, I kind of take like the opposite approach with Acronia. Um, I write in Open Watcom 2.0. Um, my entire development like workflow is on a modern Linux machine. I cross compile to DOS, obviously, but like I don't even touch a DOS machine for any of develop development. Um, the only time I use actual DOS hardware is for the occasional testing of stuff that like I know DOSBox isn't accurate for. Mm, yeah, makes sense. I think, to be honest, both of these approaches were common back in the day. Like, some people used actual DOS machines to make their DOS stuff, but not all. I mean, famously, Doom was not... Well, yeah, that was my inspiration was, like, Doom was developed for DOS on Next. Yeah. And that that, that was kind of what gave me the idea that, like, okay, I could develop on... Like, I don't have to develop on my target platform. No. I can exactly. have a, I can have a workflow and a tool chain and everything that's convenient and works for me that I don't have to fight against all the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. I would, I would props say. for using Open Watcom. Then I found that terribly hard. <laughs> well, yeah, for you know differing values of having to fight against. <laughs> <laughs> we got some questions on our forum. I think it would be fun to to look at those. 
Although, you know, since we've covered some things, I think we've also sort of answered some of them, but we'll 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 see. Yeah. Um I think we we have talked about the first one, but, but let's just check. It's by user Rijdrak. I don't know how to say it. Re re Rijdrak. I don't know. <laughs> He's made some DOS games of his own. Uh so I mean that's very interesting uh, by itself. But he asks the most obvious question. Why a commercial game targeting MS DOS in 2023? Look and feel is an artistic choice, but surely it could have all been pretend. So we've kind of touched on this earlier, where you know it's um inspired by others and also a, a unique, just giving your game something unique, I feel. But is there more to it? It could have looked like a DOS game, I suppose, and not be an actual DOS game. Well, I mean, since we are talking business, I mean, I think it's okay to talk about the practical reality of like, even with a retro style, and and this isn't me just talking myself down, I think it's honestly true, a game like Acronia might have just gotten lost in the shuffle of just a bunch of retro looking games. Mm -hmm. Um, The fact that it is an actual DOS game, that's a pretty powerful marketing tool. It, Mm. it's a niche market, it's never going to be a mega hit, but the people who are into that are gonna know it. Yeah. You know. And is is that the main reason you would say or is it is there more to it? Um it it was 50-50. That was definitely a huge consideration. You know, it was breaking out of that mold and actually getting myself noticed. Mm. But it's also a technological concern. I feel like with modern games every year the expectations kind of, even for indies kind of get more and more like harder yeah. to attain, you know what I mean? Yeah. Sure. Sure. You, I mean, everyone wants their game to be better than the last game. Yeah. Not just their last game, but, you, you know, the, the last game people played. So, right. yeah. And I, I am just one person. There's only so much I could do. I guess my thinking was I can either make a mediocre modern game or a really awesome DOS game. Yeah, that makes sense. Just because the hardware requirements are simpler, the, the programming is easier to understand, I can make a simple engine that does a lot more. Mm-hmm. And I wonder, does the fact things like DOSBox exist, which make it possible to run these games on, you know, phones or or a, a lot of different operating systems? I mean, I've always thought that the main appeal of game engines like Unity, but also Game Maker or whatever... I mean, the main appeal is you make a game once and then you can deploy it on many different platforms. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I'm, gl- I'm glad you brought that up uh, because that was another one of my reasons. And for some reason, I just didn't mention it. But yeah, uh, totally. I don't have to worry about cross-platform mm-hmm. because I could just stick it in the emulator, package that so that it just runs. And there you have it. I can run on most modern platforms. Yeah, so even people who aren't super into DOS, they can just download the Windows version. Yeah, if all you want is a cool pixel art game, there you have it. If you're interested in DOS, you can pull the DOS files out and put it on your machine. Yeah, that's why I think there's a real chance for more DOS games, because this is a really cool feature. It's really made possible by DOSbox. I'd also add that, you know, all these old computers, there's loads of them still around. Oh, yeah. And a lot of them still work. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. And it's like, if you make a pixel art game that requires Windows 10 or requires the latest version of Mac OS, the only thing that you can run it on is modern computers. But if you target mm-hmm. a DOS computer or an old, a classic Mac or an NES or Super Nintendo, 
yes, you can play it on on Linux and Mac OS and, and Windows and what have you. But for those who still have these machines and they're still functioning, you've now kind of breathed life into those old machines. Yeah. And so yeah. I, I think absolutely, if your game can run on that hardware, do it. Because for people who have that old equipment, you're giving them more to do with that old equipment. Mm-hmm. You know, you're you're kind of you're kind of revitalizing that machine's life, as it were, in a yeah. sort of philosophic way of, of looking at it. Yeah. That's very cool. Um, can I just clarify a point I made earlier? Oh, sure. I kind of feel like I didn't answer that last question well. I just kind of want to say that like, when I said that I think it's easier to make a good game on DOS than on a modern platform, I meant specifically for like my skill set and what I'm able to do as a solo developer. Sure. Yeah. I'd also like to add that kind of we, we touched on this a little bit earlier on in this recording. If you're like an engineering type, modern platforms with engines like Unreal, Unity, and Godot, all of the engineering's kind of been taken care of for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. If you're an artist, that's fantastic because you don't have to worry about the the engineering side of it. But if you are an engineer, yeah, all of your work, all of the stuff that is actually in your wheelhouse has already been taken care of by somebody else. Yeah, that's a very good point. When you develop for retro hardware, you don't have any support. Mm-hmm. You're on your own. So you have to figure out those problems yourself, which for an engineer that's that that is like an amazingly big source of enjoyment and like yeah. it's it's a way to channel that creative energy how do i solve the problem of making this game actually work i can totally see that yeah i f- i feel that's also a very old school way of developing games which is just kind of gone in modern environments for sure a lot of old games just come from the fact that you know programmers are thinking okay how can we how can we make it this do something impressive and then having to be creative well yeah definitely i mean i and i mean this i have become a far better programmer engineer designer in the past four years of doing acronia on dos than i ever did in like 15 20 years of hacking on modern systems before then mm. because of the restrictions I've had to deal with, you know, lear- learning how to do more within limited memory space, how- learning how to visually convey ideas with, you know, low res graphics. Like I, I just think I'm better for it. Mm, yeah, I can see that. We have a, we have some questions about the aching. So this one's from uh, Pix or Richard, uh, who has been on many episodes. All of them. No, not all of them. Not this one. (laughs) And he asks, why pick the 10,000 rather than something a little later? As an owner, I appreciate a new game for the system, but I gather none of the developers actually own one themselves. That is correct. I do not own a 10,000. So... So why target this system? I wasn't even aware of the 10,000 really until... I'd hate to... To bring it back to the the 8-bit guy, but <laughs> he did some videos showcasing a few different Tandy 1000s, I think. And then LGR also did uh, one or two mm-hmm. um, between the Tandy 1000 and the PC Junior. And I was kind of very meh about them until, again, it comes back to Space Quest. Uh, someone had... Uh, As do all things. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, all, all gaming is really just people chasing Space Quest. That, that's... 
one hundred percent of the the game of the history of video games is just people chasing Scott Murphy's uh, even history before tokens. Space Quest. Yes, yeah. <laughs> they saw the future. They knew that he was coming, and they wanted to they wanted to be just like him. No, but um, I heard the Space Quest theme as play because growing up, I only ever had PC speaker, and then eventually right. got it replaced with um, AdLib. But mm-hmm. like I, I heard. You know, so somebody doing like test videos with King's Quest and Space Quest games on the Tandy 1000, and I heard the way it sounded. And I was like, this is really cool. It's like, it sounds very similar to the PC Beeper, like Square Wave, but you had volume adjustment and you could do three different channels plus a noise channel. And just that little bit of extra functionality mm-hmm. makes a world of difference. And so I was like, yeah. I, I just kind of like absolutely. I got into uh, one. I also think wedge computers are really cool, and I saw what the Tandy One Thousand HX looked like, and I just kind of fell in love. I'm now like I've got like this mild obsession with Tandy One Thousands, specifically the EX and the HX, because they're wedge computers, and I think wedge computers are cool, and we should bring them back <laughs> because I yeah. don't care if it's not <laughs> functional with you know how massive uh, video cards have to be. I want my wedge computer back. <laughs> So it really was all about the sound chip. The sound sound chip and the aesthetic, yeah. Yeah, exactly. It it is interesting. I don't think a lot of people, especially here in Europe, ever heard the the Tandy. I mean, they've they've probably seen the name Tandy when setting up your game, but I don't think they've ever heard how it actually sounds. I think it was very much an America only. To be fair, I hadn't. So many times you had to pick what kind of machine you have. In, and yeah. it says Tandy, and I was like, "What? What the heck is a Tandy? What the hell? What the hell is a Tandy?" I I knew one thing about Tandy, and it's if you pick it, the game doesn't run. That's what I knew. <laughs> so, <laughs> if it makes you feel any better, I was in the exact same boat until about seven years ago. <laughs> Maybe it's fun to listen to it. By the way, I mean, uh, the A King does have a soundtrack. Wait, uh, did, did, who who made the soundtrack, by the way? I did. Wow, that's amazing, to be honest. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you did the graphics, you wrote all the game, you programmed, but you also did the soundtrack. Which is why there's only about 10 minutes of, of and I, I put in quotation marks, music in the game. <laughs> ah, but still, no, it's... No, 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 don't undersell yourself. What is there is amazing. Yeah, it's very atmospheric, and I think it fits the game very well, so... It's the fact that originally it wasn't even going to have, like, anything besides sound effects. I wasn't originally going to put any music in it at all. Hmm. Um and it got an old piece of music that I wrote ages ago, which is the the main theme that you hear when you first boot up the game. And like I, I kind of diced it up when I first added it because I was like, I'll have an intro piece, and then it will play another piece when you finish the game. Mm-hmm. And the reason why MT32 didn't work, even though the system tried to make it work, was because I was trying to piggyback off the MT32 functionality off of the Tandy 1000 music files. Mm. I have since changed that. The current version actually has uh, MT32 and general MIDI music available. The default is still set to Tandy 1000. And then I I recently added a PC speaker driver, which uses the Tandy 1000 music. And just plays one of the voices instead of all three. Right. Well, because, I mean, you know, you've only got one channel <laughs> yeah you just got the one the one thing that's all you get yeah yeah 
But I think it's interesting to listen to the Tandy 1000 version because it's it's basically PC speaker, but you get three of them. Right. So it's more like a serious sound chip, more like, I don't know, what the NES has or, yeah. Uh, yeah it's, well, it's essentially three PC speakers with a little bit of volume control. Mm-hmm. The, the NES cool. isn't that far off, actually. I think one channel yeah. is a triangle wave. Or yeah. solid wave or whatever, but that's it. That's the only difference. Or no, it's two triangle waves, one square wave, I think. And it can do uh, PCM in the limited wave. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if you're a but good still. programmer, you can get the same thing out of the PC speaker. I mean, <laughs> I've seen true. some amazing stuff come out of the demo scene. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Your game can't do much of anything else at that point. No, no, <laughs> it's freezing. It just has a static image, but still, yeah. So, Florian, I think you have the Tandy 1000 soundtrack, right? Yes. Just tell me which track to play. I don't know. Which one do we play, Thompson? Uh, um, Wh- which one is the Scholar's theme? Duh, that's Discordance. Yeah. Okay, play that one. Very cool. It makes such a big difference over the standard PC speaker to have the ability to play multiple notes at once. Oh, totally. And it just, you know, I guess it has its fans, the PC speaker, <laughs> I guess. I don't know. But I don't I don't think a lot of people are huge into it. So that's almost high job. <laughs> I think you have to have nostalgia to be able to yeah. enjoy PC speaker music. Yeah. But sir, this is really elevates it to, you know, real music. Just having these harmonies and having a bass while there's a melody. That's all. Yeah. Then it's real music. And then it's it gets even fancier when you have the MT32. So rush out yeah, and buy one today. That one. 
It's kind of interesting that that we have these two versions of the music, 10D1000 and MT32. And I think most people saw these options back in the day. And I don't <laughs> I don't think anyone had the ability to listen to either of these. I've never owned a, a Roland MT32. Um, I I had a I had a Tandy growing up, so I could listen to the Tandy. Uh, right. You know, I played I played games with the Tandy sound, but yeah, I I didn't even know what an MT32 was. Nope. Again, if you choose it, you hear no music. That's what I knew. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> what's worse is if you choose it and you do have general MIDI, because then what you get can best be described as a cacophony. Well, yeah. I think I think the problem is the MT2, MT32 is older than the general MIDI standard. Yeah. But the general MIDI standard is sort of inspired by what the MT32 offers. So it's kind of similar, but not exactly. Well, both of them also use the, um, the MPU-401 uh, communication protocol. Yeah, and they both work in sort of the same way that they have these a set of sounds and you just choose which sound to play for the most part the only real difference um between the mt32 and i'm I'm very much oversimplifying the matter right now but um the only real difference between uh composing for the mt32 versus general midi is what the the patch numbers are exactly and that's why it sounds so bad because you know if you if you program for general midi you're getting random yeah <laughs> then 25 is a is a guitar or i don't know 57 is a is a trumpet right and then well if you send those to the mt32 you, you don't quite get a guitar or a trumpet you get something else entirely and you get helicopters the, the, and yeah, exactly gunshot applause <laughs> one of and, one and, of yeah, its hundred different oh. pianos <laughs> Yeah, so the music just falls apart. But yeah, yeah. otherwise it's technically very comparable, actually. Yeah. I think you also have the MT32 soundtrack, Florian, so... Yeah, shall we play the same one? Uh, Might be fun to hear the the difference. I think that'd be a good comparison. Yeah. Okay.
awesome. It sounds very different, obviously. It's it's definitely the same song. Yeah, just a much richer sound to it. I guess that's what you get for spending five hundred or six hundred dollars on the box. <laughs> <laughs> I really like the um the the kind of like stocked electronic um voices that the MT thirty two had available. Yeah. Yeah, like the pianos, electric pianos, electric guitars. No, because like I, I was using all of like a lot of the music in uh, the Aching ended up using the ones that were very clearly just like synth instruments. Like there was no real life uh, counterpart, like no analog counterpart. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And it, it kind of made me think of a lot of like the uh, like the eighties horror movies that I was borrowing a lot of inspiration for. Oh yeah. Yes, those were definitely a lot of those were made by on boxes like these or more expensive ones even. That's always the funny thing that that in Roland's lineup this was the budget option. <laughs> and for gamers this was an insanely expensive piece of hardware. Yeah. <laughs> Quote budget unquote. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Does that answer the question why the 10,000? I think so. Uh because it's a cool little piece of hardware and it has cool sound chip. Because it's cool. Yeah. Because I suffer nostalgia for something I never had. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but actually, Pix has another question. Uh, he says, I'd be interested about the choice to develop a whole new engine rather than building something in the likes of AGI. Was this so the game could be commercial? Oh, well, as I said, like the, there wasn't even a notion of selling the Aching. It was a DOS game jam. The whole point of it was to see if I could make it, mm-hmm. you know, to see if I could figure out how to make a game that ran. The 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 target was always a 4.77 megahertz computer, um, you know, basic 16-bit. Like, I wanted to, to try and see if I could make that happen where the game would be playable on an original IBM PC. Yeah, but also coming back to the engineering thing, I mean, it would have skipped over the whole engineering step if you had just taken the actual AGI engine right, and then just implemented the game for it, which I get the feeling that's the fun for you is, is to, to not take something that exists, but actually to make it. To, to figure out the engineering question, like the, the aching as a game is probably where the least effort has been put into it. And I think that really, uh, that really showed whether people are going to be uh, so rude as to say that, but the the initial release of it, I think uh, a lot of the reactions that we got um, from from people that were not always um, the most glowing, and I mean they were absolutely valid. Like I, I didn't have like a major you know storyline or this this great artistic vision. It was. I, I just had enough of a game idea to uh, justify kind of like, you know, okay, I've made an engine. That was the part that I put all of the energy into. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, uh, some of it also comes down to the the situation in which the game was released. Like I said, we didn't think anyone, like I didn't think anyone was actually going to buy it, maybe more than two or three people. I didn't think there was any interest in it. And I was like, well... You know, if we if we make any money off of it, great. Then we can we can pay for an artist to work on a real game like Acronia. Yeah. Um, and then it turned out that there was this incredibly positive reaction to it, 
Uh, and everyone's reaction basically just broke down to, we like what we see, but it's very short. Could you give us more? Yeah, <laughs> give us more. Give us more of this. Yeah, that that was a common sentiment. We love this world. The vibe is really good. There's just not enough of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like like I said, originally when when we got to the April deadline that I set on a whim in March, I wanted the aching off my plate. I didn't want to touch it anymore. I was I was getting sick and tired of working on it. Mm. Move on with my life. I'm I'm done with this project. And then I saw the reaction to it. Because like I said, when I was working on it, I thought no one's going to give a shit about this. I'm spending all of this energy and this time. And I, I at the time I was working a job mm. uh, where we got brought back into the office and I have a two hour commute each way. Oh, that's terrible. So I'm losing like 10 to 12 hours of my day to work. Um, so I didn't have a lot of time to, to spend on the aching. And I was like, I was like, this is eating up all of my my free time. I was getting very angry at the game because I just wanted it done. I wanted it gone away. And then the fact that there was a very positive reaction kind of softened me to 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 the game. And I kind of wanted to go back and you know make more, put in more content. Like there were ideas that got got cut out when we were uh, when we were working on it. Mm-hmm. before release because it was just like I just want it done I want it off my plate I want to move on with my life right and then there was just such a positive reaction to it that I was like okay you know what I was going to move on to the next project idea which was going to be equally short um and I was just like you know what no let me let me go back and there there's people who who really like this let me go and 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 give them at least try to give them something a little bit more worth their their time and energy. I don't think it's not worth. Well, <laughs> but you know, it, it's just a very cool world to be in, and it's just sad when it's over so quickly. So, yeah, having more stuff to do there is is very cool. Yeah, definitely. There is one more update that is planned because uh, one of the things I'd really like to do, like I said, all of this started because I watched a video about someone releasing a DOS game with a physical copy uh. um, back in, in the late 20-teens. And I was like, I want to do a physical print and, and go the whole nine yards. So uh, we were actually in the process of putting together a Kickstarter um, to, you know, and it's just going to be like a couple of thousand as the goal, basically enough money to cover the the printing costs. Yeah. Make an actual box copy would be very cool. Yeah, I mean, even if even if the game's only mediocre, like, hey, at least it's it's now something that can be on a on a shelf and and have that little bit more physicality. Uh, but I also was like, hey, you know, there's still things that I haven't put in the game that I've I've kind of contemplated. Wouldn't this be a fun addition? So there is one last update that I want to do, which will be released about the same time that we anticipate the physical prints becoming available mm. that would you know try and round out the the game which i think at this point is about a megabyte on disk so the the current plan is to put it out on either a single three and a half inch floppy or put it on um i've actually got uh some ideas of how to get it so that you could play it on like a 360k floppy and it actually support disk swapping which the current version of the the game does not even acknowledge the possibility for so 
Um, Would be more appropriate maybe for the Tandy, although... Right. Well, no, because the Tandy had a, what was was it, a 720K floppy disk or possibly a, an actual 1.44? I don't remember. Um, I think it had the 720K because I had a TL2, which was like a later Tandy. It was like a 286, and that still only had the 720K. Okay. But they also had like hard drives in a lot of those things, and I know... It's it's worth noting, I'm not making a game for a Tandy 1000 as it existed in the 1980s. No. Because I don't think there are any Tandy 1000s out in the wild right now that are in their original state. They've all been, like, tweaked and modified, too. Yeah. Yeah. Surely surely people who are into this old stuff, they they can handle uh, a 1.4 megabyte floppy. They'll know how to work it, yeah. What's his name? Retro Tech Chris had, had a whole bunch of... Uh, uh, of really cool mods and, and like tutorials on how to mod Tandy 1000s to make them a little bit more revitalized in the modern era. So, which if, if no one knows who Retro Tech Chris is, look him up on YouTube. He's got a really awesome channel. He, he does a lot of like how to get old technology online in, in some fashion so that you can kind of in, enjoy those machines as more modern devices. Uh, I don't think he's done one for Dostodon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's done everything that you need to be able to run Dostodon on a, on an old computer. So There's lots of people who are, who are just using, you know, using it as an IRC client or something like that. Right. So uh, I, I just want to go quickly back to our forum thread because we still have some questions. Okay. Um, the remaining questions are by user DJ. Uh, hip who was on the stunts episode and will also be on the aching episode by the way because i think this was the first parser based uh adventure game that he ever played so isn't that fun really yeah completely new to the genre never never played anything like it i i feel i feel like i'm i'm either honored or i should apologize Obviously, this made a, a huge impact, and and the questions he has are just really specific about what's going on in in the game in the aching. So I just want to go over them and see what you have to say. Uh, his first question. Oh, the also possibly spoilers. Minor ones, I guess, right? Mm, yeah, and also people who want to play this, just go ahead and play it. Play it now. Come back to us. Exactly. Exactly. So anyway, the the questions are are very very aching specific, and uh, I'll just go through them top to bottom. The first one, what was the significance of the graveyard? A lot of information went into the headstones, for instance. And I think he's referring to the fact that that it doesn't really do anything in the game. There's a whole graveyard scene and you can read all the headstones. Is there anything more to it or is it just there for vibes? Um, Mostly there for vibes. Uh, it was kind of... I, I had these, these ideas for... Uh, for back when I was working on the project for the game jam, I was I was very much more interested in what would be uh, like an interesting scene, not from like a game standpoint, but just from like a world building standpoint. What would kind of draw you into the the environment? Which I feel is the game's strength, to be honest. <laughs> just the whole world feels really rich. Oh, one hundred percent. Yeah. Well, like I said, we we've been we've been building this world, my wife and I, for uh, five five years before the game jam entry. Yeah, uh, I think it was, um, and it the it was like almost nightly. At one point, we were we were 
doing Dungeons and Dragons. Well, technically Pathfinder uh, originally, mm. um, but it was like a, a tabletop session that we were running. I was GMing, and she was exploring this world with uh, with uh, a character of hers, and um, like it started off as I wanted something kind of creepy and mysterious. And if I'm honest, as much as I love to uh, poke fun at Clive Barker, there's a lot of Hellraiser um, <laughs> going right back to the first adventure in this world. Yeah. Because um, she started off in like a labyrinth and it was over this like sky that did not have a sun or stars, but there was still like a green glow, mm-hmm. um, which I hoped came across in the game. Uh, it's very low resolution graphics. So. No, but I think it still works. Yeah, it's very evocative. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. The world does not have a sun or stars. <laughs> you know, it's it's supposed to be like kind of creepy. It is that. It totally works, yeah. So another question by DJ Hip. Um, did you originally plan for a much larger game given the teleport stone in the laboratory or the city over the horizon and the locket? So I think the locket is an item you're given at the start of the game, right? Right. It was supposed to be like something that that drove the player forward. Uh, that was that was very much added from a game design uh, perspective. It was supposed to give you like a direction uh, on top of the questions of, you know, kind of going with the the tried and true amnesia trope. <laughs> what, who am I? Where where did I come from? What am I doing here? And I wanted the locket to kind of uh, act as a catalyst and. Whether uh, that ultimately worked as well in practice as it, it did in my head when I was first working on the project, um, I, I think with the 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 update, I've definitely managed to uh, to make that a bit more fleshed out. Mm. Um, All right, I, I don't know. Has before I go any further, have have you guys played the update and gotten max points? I've not gotten max points. I have I have played the update and I I noticed some new items. I think the paint bucket, I don't remember that from the first run. No, that was in there. Uh oh, okay. Um but the problem is the the um the path from the pre-update uh, the, like the pre-update path to the end still works. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh so this makes it very hard for me to, you know, come up with new solutions to the puzzles. Although actually the ending screen gives a big hint as to what to try. So I, I want to do another run and, and try other things uh, to see if I can see more of the new content. So I probably want to avoid going too much into uh, spoiler territory. Well, what was the, the, the question that we were originally working from? The question was, did you originally plan a much larger game? given some of the items in the game, such as the teleport stone or the city over the horizon? Um, the city over the horizon was actually just supposed to be like a goal. Right. So it was never intended to be in the city, more adventures there. Not not in this game. Um, so I, I suppose actually this kind of touches on the the original genesis of the idea. When, when we were... Uh, originally going to have the aching as an actual commercial release to generate some funds so that we could pay for uh, a cronia. Mm-hmm. Um, at the time I was kind of toying around with, wouldn't it be fun to do like a, a kind of like an art house 
set of games. They're all built on one engine. They're all built for old-fashioned PCs. And it would be six different games, wildly different stories, wildly different uh, gaming experiences, but all built on this parser-driven adventure game engine. Oh, that's awesome. That's very cool. And I think I talked about it a little bit on uh, either Twitter or Mastodon, one or the other. Uh, it's hard for me to remember exactly where uh, <laughs> the the downfall of Twitter happened in relationship to this. Um, and so originally, I was I, I was going to wrap up the aching, and I was going to start on a on a game that we even announced at one point called Project Deep Dive, mm. and that was going to be like a, an undersea uh, kind of like. Perhaps horror game is is the wrong word, but like a suspense game. Okay. Um, taking a lot of notes from stuff like uh, Michael Creighton's The Sphere, um, John Carpenter's The Thing. Right. Taking a lot of like those kinds of like horror settings and working with because I, I, I am both. Uh, I both suffer from thalassophobia and I'm completely uh, obsessed with the ocean. <laughs> and, and like, I find it a fascinating, like my favorite XCOM game is XCOM Terror from the Deep, mm-hmm. purely because of the the setting. Right. Uh, okay. You know, so, so I, I was originally going to do like these, these uh, multiple games. Everything would be like these small confined storylines. But it's still going to use the parser engine or not necessarily. Yeah, no, it would, it would all be working with the same engine. Awesome. Uh, but that has kind of changed because... So many people showed so much interest in the world yeah. of the aching and wanting to see more of that specific storyline. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of shifted gears, and now it's I do want to I do want to make those other games eventually, um, and I'll probably continue to work on them in some amount uh, in the meantime. But now the aching is the first chapter in a four part. Uh, progression wow okay the second game is actually going to introduce uh another character wow okay uh the third game is also going to introduce another character and then all three stories are going to merge in that city on the horizon which is called the city of id oh also i think people are going to be very excited finally some good news (laughs) (laughs) yes this is this is great because, you know, people want to spend more time in this world. So, yeah, this is cool. Yeah, I'm stoked just as a fan of the A-King. Yeah, yeah. exactly. This is like the amount of positive attention I've gotten off of this game has been like really weird to me. <laughs> like, <laughs> Oh, it's it's a very beautiful game. I mean, yeah. I've, I've been blown away. Like, it's it's cool. Don't get me wrong. I've really appreciated it. But I didn't I didn't think that there would be any interest in this when i i was making it i was like maybe we will get if we're lucky we'll sell 10 copies no well i think it's sort of maybe the whole dos thing is just working because i think acronia got some attention as well (laughs) so you know people are craving this stuff i think i'd also like to at some point sit down and come to terms with the apple 2gs and port the engine over to the apple 2gs so that we could have uh we we could have an Apple port of the uh, of of the like the Aki and pardon me uh, Song of Silence and City of It and what have you. Wow. Okay. So that would be rad. Yeah. So more questions by DJ Hip about the Aking. Um, he asks about um, are there any other Easter eggs or things like that? He mentions there's a 
There's a red herring in the form of the fern. The red reeds, or blood reeds, blood reeds, yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's also a golden box, which I think the merchant is selling. And somebody on your stream figured out what that was. Okay, I don't remember. Yeah, it's, um, like I said, a lot of the world uh, in its early stages was inspired by Hellraiser. Ah, um, right. The, I, I, I was worried that if I made it too identical yeah. to the lament configuration that it would, that, you know, again, we'd have lawyers calling. So I was like, well, let me take one of the, the less iconic sides and I'm drawing it in super low resolution. So it won't be like, mm-hmm. you know, I, I can be like, oh, well, it's a, it's a nod to it. It was supposed to be like an, you know, like a, a, a fun little, like, Hey, fans, fans of Hellraiser, if they see this, they'll be like, oh, that, ha, 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 ha. Yeah, and Especially exactly. as he, he's like, you know, this is, this is already spoken for, for another uh, person. Like I was kind of alluding to. So that's the reason why you put them in just, you know, things you're excited about. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was just a nod. So there's nothing really to them. The Red Reeds was something that I, I kind of, I saw it as a, as an interesting idea, like for a scene. Mm. And I, I added, you know, I was like, oh yeah, sure. You can pick up the reeds, but I could never figure out what to do with them. And so eventually I just left it as a joke. They're an, a useless item, but you do get points for them. Yeah. Well, that's, that's not useless then. So you, <laughs> if you want max points, you do have to get the red reeds, but they are completely useless. <laughs> Um, and the final question is about the multiple endings. So that's definitely spoiler territory. Um, because the game does have multiple endings. Yep. And and he asks, what's the reason for the cafe dream ending? Um, it's a joke. He also mentions medicine. I'm not sure what that is, to be honest. Okay, so that's that's an item that, that you you didn't find during your playthrough. Okay, I'm I'm going to give away the the spoiler. Yeah, go ahead. In the game, you can find a bottle of ibuprofen. Oh, the game is called the Aching, and your character is constantly uh, suffering lots of pain and suffering. Yeah, that's very funny. <laughs> so if you take ibuprofen, you wake up in a cafe, and the whole thing was a migraine-induced uh, dream or nightmare. Yes. Oh, that's very funny. That is not a canonical ending. It was a joke ending similar to like the dog ending or UFO ending of of Silent Hill fame. So it's like an Easter egg ending. Yeah. Uh, Same with same with if you type cheat. Well, exactly. That was that was the next question. Like, what's up with the cheat ending? So I guess it's just a joke. It's it's directly ripped off of Space Quest 2. Yes. Well, if you play Space Quest 2 right off the bat, type in the word cheat you will get a a very humorous uh, blurb from the two guys from Andromeda who are like, hey, you know, whereas other people are wasting their time playing an adventure game, you figured out how to get around the whole thing by just cheating. Genius. And that makes you the the, the most awesomest gamer ever. So it's like this whole paragraph. It fills the whole screen. And you get like the the the... Uh, Space Quest theme music and it says the end. Mm. And I was just like it's such a funny joke that I was like I I have to put because I, I love I love the, the little jokes like that in Space Quest 2. Yeah that's very fun that's very fun. So so we've heard some of the plans uh, for the aching like multiple 
there's there's going to be multiple games. It's going to be a series. Um, mm-hmm. Very excited to hear. And get a physical print run. And yeah, and a physical copy if, if that works out. So, Clarissa, I'm, I mean, there's big plans for, um, for Crony as well, right? There's a demo out right now. That's, that's the current state of it. Uh, yes, that's correct. So that's not the original um, DOS Games Jam prototype, just to be clear. I mean, it's grown from that. Um, yeah. Like, I haven't started it. I haven't restarted it from scratch. No, right no, no. But since, it's, you know, since then. It's but, bigger. Yeah, it's grown way. It's, it's bigger. It's a lot more refined actual gameplay instead of just running around in an empty map mm-hmm. has secrets <laughs> there are secrets uh, early on in the game jam versions too oh okay okay yes yeah, see secrets was like one of the first features like i added once i had the map going because like i love looking yeah for secrets that's in very games. funny okay but now you actually have proper weapons yeah and like a whole weapon system multiple levels uh, it, it's funny i remember being a little um disappointed in myself because the original game jam demo i was working on did have enemies and weapons and everything but i hadn't yet optimized the engine Hmm. i didn't want to put it out in the state it was because i like a few weeks before the game jam i tested it out on my 486 which i usually don't have access to because it's in storage um and it was so slow because i never bothered to test it on lower cycle counts in dosbox yeah um so i had to make a decision and i was like okay i haven't optimized this yet what do i do i ripped the enemies out of the game right like at the last minute before the game jam and then y'all did an episode about the game jam mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah got all this visibility um and it was and the, the version people were seeing was a compromised version i had made because of performance and i was a little i was a little sad about that like i was happy for the exposure you know yeah uh, but i was a little upset that i had to make those changes so after that like optimization became something that i was i don't think it's an exaggeration to say that i was obsessed with it yeah i can i can see how it makes sense i mean that's a rabbit hole that you can it just keeps on going doesn't it it never stops it, it really does it really does i still have ideas for optimization that i'm like rolling around in my head it, it just never ends it's probably why the project has taken four years but anyway there's an updated version uh there's a demo version out now which does have enemies and everything so yes so, so that's cool yeah it's got five levels right now one of which is a secret mm-hmm. and i've heard from players that it's extremely hard to find i've tried it i've not found it yet so <laughs> i've i've played it a bunch but yeah it's got five levels i think three enemies a handful of weapons and you know we're always adding more like we have pretty big plans for this. And eventually this is going to be like a big game. I mean, this is going to be a full release. Oh, yeah. With how many levels? Like, I should know. I've 27. A- I'm planning three episodes of nine levels each. Exactly. Following the, the Doom model of eight normal levels and then a, a bonus stage. Mm. Exactly. A lot of this is Doom inspired. And I'm making music for this game, by the way, which is a fun I was going to ask you guys it's a in fun... a much less uh, latent way, but now you you, you know I was about to do that. Yes. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm I, I don't know how to bring this up, but I mean, I'm doing the interview, but I'm also a, a part of this in a way. Well, no, you you definitely deserve those props. The music you've been writing is just 
amazing. Like, I couldn't be happier with it. Oh, thank you. It's just a shame that it's running through my sound code. And no, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> there is a no, there, there, re- it really isn't fine. Like, every time I play it, all I hear is the bugs. <laughs> and I've, I, I even like, I was hitting up Florian and bugging him with it because I was like, what am I doing wrong? <laughs> oh, he can help out for sure. He knows. He- no, I actually tried. Oh. Yeah, he's as stumped as I am. <laughs> At this point, it's just the hanging notes and the snare drum. Like, it sounds great. We just need to sort that out. It's not really that... It, it's not as bad as it sounds to you, I'll say. I mean, if it sounds different, uh, that's still a valid sound. I mean, that's just a different sound. I mean, it's fine. Drives me nuts. I I, I, I am so angry every time I hear that. I'm like, <laughs> why does it not work right <laughs> And I, I like I compare my code to the official rad driver script, uh, driver code, mm. and I'm like, what am I doing differently? What is going wrong? Yeah. So just to clarify, this music is uh, written in a piece of software called Rad Tracker, which stands for Reality Adlib. I don't know something demo. I don't know Tracker. Um, so it's it's all OPL3 music, which is the chip that's found on uh, Soundblaster 16, for example. It's a little bit more advanced than, than what's on the Adlib uh, chip, which is OPL2, but it's essentially the same idea. Um, so it's it's chip music. That's what it comes down to. And that's why it's sort of difficult to get it uh, to sound right, because it's not just playing, uh, you know, it's not just playing audio. It's not just triggering notes like with MIDI. It's, yeah, it's chip music. So it's, you have to drive the chip in the right way to get it to sound the way that it should sound. Right. And honestly, you know, playing Acronia as much as I do, um, the music to me sounds exactly the same as it does in the tracker. Like, Tamsin, your your audio code is really good. It's really close. Um, it's just, it's yeah. just, yeah, it's just those two bugs we talked about that we need to sort out. It's yeah. really close. Yeah, it sounds essentially the same. So, yeah. Can we play some music? Well, uh, if you want to, yeah, please. I, I totally want to. Maybe maybe just the um, E1, M1, because that's, that's that, that rocks hard. Yeah, opening level, sure.
Mind's blown. <laughs> so cool. That rocks my face off. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, it's very fun to, to, to work on this. So, you know, I'm having a good time. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad. It makes such a massive difference playing the game, too. It really does, because, yeah, we didn't, we didn't have music at all for, geez, three years. Also, when, when I first started working on the, the sound code, you know, we, we had some basic MIDI files that I think Penn, uh, Clarissa and I had, like, laying around. And Clarissa went and found, like, you know, some music from, like, Doom or what have you, uh, which obviously we, we couldn't use in a, in a commercial product. Yeah. <laughs> so it was, like, nine times out of ten, it was either dead silence or it was just wildly inappropriate music. <laughs> Stuff I'd written for my RPG, Jill of the Jungle, like mm-hmm. really weird esoteric stuff. Final Fantasy. Yeah. There was some Final Fantasy stuff in there. Yeah. It was it was all over the place. And now it's actually got like its own sound. Uh and it's sounds really cool. I love that so much. Well, I'm I'm very glad to hear that. I I think level two is my personal favorite. It's got that kind of Yeah. <laughs> That's the classic OPL thing. Yeah, it's so good. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, very happy to be involved with this. It's it's a lot of fun, and and very uh, excited. Looking forward to, uh, you know, the 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 full release. Um, I guess we're both working on it. I mean, I'm making more music for more levels, and you're making well the the entire game. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, and and is do you think the the artist thing is is still on the horizon? Like. You you mentioned earlier you were looking for maybe an artist. Um yeah, definitely. I've done most of the pixel art um in Acronia myself, but I'm getting to the point where like there's so much on the to-do list for the actual engine that I'm gonna have to start, you know, shopping that out. I mean, we we did have an artist uh by the name of uh Sarah Boeing. Am am I saying that right? Um but she ended up getting a a professional gig. Uh, doing like pixel art so all of a sudden she she basically didn't have any time mm. to work on like minor stuff like this because she was like pulling a proper paychecks and you know <laughs> like like i get that <laughs> like <laughs> more power to her she helped finish up the artwork for Allie and um did pretty much the entirety of Roslyn. yep well the art looks very good i mean all of the art that that's in the game right now looks very good so i mean that's not really a reason to thank you to change your process oh no it, it, it's more of a workflow management thing at this point i could do it but yeah exactly exactly so yeah that's on the horizon um and and what else is going on with hadrosaurus software i mean these are the the two main titles that are you know either out or or being out soon i suppose um is is the plan for hadrosaurus software to be an MS-DOS game studio, or is that not really the plan at all? Not primarily. I mean, I've got some game ideas in the future that I think my vision is best served by doing them as modern games, despite what I was saying mm. earlier. Um, but <laughs> DOS is DOS and retro in general are our bread and butter, and I don't think that's ever going to change. Right. So it's not exclusively DOS games, but it's not going away either yeah not exclusively but it's definitely a focus right that's cool yeah and there's more people in hedrosaurus software than just the two of you is aren't there uh yes um there's elizabeth our business manager and um 
you know, she's, she's also got some game ideas. She's, you know, throwing around, um, Lucy who handles our cross platform stuff. She's responsible for the, uh, Mac OS ports of our DOS box games. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she's, she also dabbles in design and development as well. Um, and then there's Anne, our, uh, community manager who handles our social media. Very cool. I mean, this is, uh, this, this could really be something. It's an operation. Yeah. Yeah. This is exciting stuff. Yeah. I'm, pr- I'm pretty, I'm pretty stoked about what the future holds. Yeah. I mean, what I just heard about the plans with the aching and then knowing what is coming with the Cronia and possible RPGs or other games later. I mean, this all just sounds very exciting. I'm looking forward very much to play whatever whatever you uh, you're putting together for us. So, oh, well, thank you. Right. Um, I'm kind of at the end of my list of questions, so I don't know if there's anything that we missed or that we want to talk about further? Is, does anything come to mind? Ah, oh, so now it's our, our turn to ask the questions. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know what you've gotten into. Well, it's more like, did we not bring something up? Did we miss something? Did we, you know... I think we talked about a lot of things. The, the only, I mean, okay, so there's, there's always going to be my selfish, uh, because it, it is the game I made, and especially since I wasn't able to get the patch update, out in time for the month that that you guys actually played it, which <laughs> I was really trying to make that that work. Um, and I've been like, you know, ever since I, I released the update, I've been like, you know, has anyone played it? Like, what do people think? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like, did it did it resonate? Did I miss the mark? Um, and unfortunately, like, there's there's only like one or two people that I'm I'm. Uh, that I talk to that, that have played it. Well, that might change after we've done our podcast about it, because that's coming up next for us. Uh, we're running behind a little bit, but we're trying to catch up. Yeah. Interestingly, our, our way of catching up seems to be to plan extra episodes. So I, I don't know how that works out. But. <laughs> that is that is the entire history of the DOS Game Club. Yeah. And it's why we listen. I know. It's But, you know, <laughs> it's, it's the, 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 the next game uh, we are going to discuss in full is The Aching. And, and we'll definitely dive into the update as well. And I'm also sure people will check out the game because of the podcast. So there's, there's bound to be more people coming in and, and checking it out for sure. I am... I, I am trying to get uh, time to start in earnest with the uh, the follow up title, uh, which is the Song of Silence, ah. and that is going to introduce a new character who will meet up with the acolyte in the city of it. So awesome! Yeah, well, excited to uh, yeah, just uh, I I want to I want to play it. I want to play it now. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> so yeah, I mean. Uh, Best of luck to you both, I guess, and and just you know all the best to you, and uh, can't can't wait to to to, to hear more of, like what's coming out and and play it all, and yeah, seems very cool and exciting. I think I think that's sort of it. So yeah, thanks thanks a lot for being on, uh, and and you know all the best to you, and uh, yeah. That's it, I suppose. So thanks a lot and and, uh, see you all later. Thank you for playing my game. (laughs) Thanks for having us. All right. Bye. 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 Bye.